you're listening to Privacy Files, the podcast that makes privacy approachable for businesses and consumers alike. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating privacy solutions into their software. Welcome to episode number 37 of Privacy Files. I'm Rich. And I'm Sarah. In our last episode, we looked at the culture of the dark web by interviewing a former cyber crimes detective. Today, we are taking a little break from the shadowy world of the dark web to examine the phenomenon of real-time bidding. A dynamic digital ads auction that exposes the average American's online activity and location 747 times every single day. That's a lot of time, Sarah. That was kind of spooky to read that. <laughs> That's a lot. I'm yeah. excited to hear about this one. Yeah, I've been I've been wanting to do this one for quite a while, but it is a little complicated in the kind of what's going on in the background and we could certainly do probably a lot more in-depth episode in the future, maybe with a guest. But I think this is a good introduction for people to slowly bring them into the idea of what happens when you are logging in, when you're going to visit a site, ads pop up, doing searches on Google or Bing, and how those ads get served to you. And how is it that they're always so tailored and targeted to your specific interests? Right. And this is another one that I'm sort of here to learn with you. And I'll be asking you questions probably. You're a little bit Uh-oh. more vetted on it than I am, but I'm excited we're, to We're in trouble. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's start off with um, a couple of news stories that are actually very similar, but is which oftentimes the case is whenever you see these projections about the growth of an industry or a market, there seems to be a lot of differing opinions. So you get different numbers, but I guess you can take the averages. The, the bottom line is just to get the idea that the real-time bidding industry, it is growing, which is concerning, as you will find out when we get deeper into this episode about some of the concerns about privacy. So this first news story comes from Yahoo Finance from April 6th of 2023. And it's talking about how the the market is growing for real-time bidding. So the, the global real-time bidding market grew from $10.85 billion with a B in 2022 to $14.07 billion in 2023, which is at a compound annual growth rate of 29.7%. So the real-time bidding market, they say, is expected to grow to $34.57 billion in 2027, which is a compound annual growth rate of 25.2%. I'm just not surprised when I see anything with advertising growing because, I mean, that's how everybody's making their money now. Everything is monetized. And so I think this is a great time for people to be focusing on their privacy and getting it more locked down because if they're making more money, it means there's more data out there that they're using to monetize. Yeah, definitely. And North America was the largest region in the real-time bidding market in 2022. Also, the Asia-Pacific is expected to be the fastest-growing region in the forecast period. The growing number of smartphone users is also expected to propel the growth of the real-time bidding market moving forward. In 2022, there were 6.65 billion smartphone users worldwide. That's what are we, where are we sitting at worldwide population? It's over 8 billion now. Cost. It's almost everyone. <laughs> or, or is there like people out there with multiple cell phones? How many do you have? I mean, I <laughs> only have one and I'm hoping to be part of the generation that keeps kids from having phones. You know, th- that's adding to it. You see 
a bunch of 10 year olds on cell phones at the park. I'm like, what are you doing? Go <laughs> run around. So the smartphone uh, users market has grown to 6.65 billion is actually equated to 83.37% of the world's population. I, I, I would have to imagine a lot of people are just, they have probably more than one phone. Yeah. I I would say that I know because I mean, even in support, we see people that are trying to share it to multi devices or your social media is on your tablets. Your even my pseudos on a tablet, iPads and stuff, too. I mean, I struggle with having just one. It is hard to keep track of (laughs) (laughs) nearly 7.26 billion people worldwide or 91.16 percent of the world's population are smartphone or feature phone owners. Now, therefore, the growing number of smartphone users is driving the growth of the real-time bidding market. Technological innovations are the key, it says. That's the key trend, gaining popularity in the real-time bidding market. Major companies operating in the market are introducing new technologies, such as a living charter bidding platform that works on data and instant communication to sustain its position in the market. And the article talked a little bit more about that area of the uh, living charter bidding. gets a little off topic, but the technology is kind of the same. And so that's it's really the takeaway here is something that does compromise your privacy. And yes, of course, the the tech companies will will beg to uh, to differ with us on that one, as we'll see too in this episode that they say that there's really nothing going on, that everything's fine and your data is safe. There's a similar story that gives a little bit different um, perspective on the numbers, and this comes from Globe Newswire, and this is dated on May 10th of 2023. And the, the title here is, says, real-time bidding market is projected to reach $19.7 billion at a 19.4% uh, compound annual, annual growth rate by 2030. This report is by Market Research Future. And, but it does attribute a lot of this growth to the rising smartphone penetration in, around the world. I guess the, the key takeaway here is that they, they talk about some of these big industry players that we're going to get into kind of how they fall into this mix as well in this episode. But some of these key players, of course, Google, they always will show up in, in this area, Facebook, Adobe, Pubmatic, never heard of them, Smato or Smato, S-M-A-A-T-O. And there's some other companies, there's Yandex, which I think is, um, that's a Russian company, Rubicon Project, Salesforce, salesforce.com. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's another one. So As, I did. Yeah, and I'm looking at this list, and that they're they're at the bottom. Verizon Media. That one's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The telecommunications companies are definitely part of this, but yeah. it's a huge industry, and this is just a sampling of some of those that are part of this game. And I guess the the takeaway here overall is expect to get more of this. It's uh, the majority of the advertising that you see today on your mobile device and your laptop is really driven by this real time bidding process. Yeah. So we've heard how it's growing and how prevalent it is. So I'm ready for you to educate us all on real-time bidding. Let's do it. We are definitely all in trouble. (laughs) All right, Sarah, let's open up a case file on real-time bidding. So let's start off a little bit here with the background. So today we're going to revisit our good old friends, ad tech. Who doesn't like a little bit of ad tech in our lives? Real-time bidding started getting worldwide attention last year in 2022 when the Irish Council for Civil Liberties released a report. And that report was entitled The Biggest Data Breach, ICCL Report on the Scale of Real-Time Bidding Data Broadcast in the U.S. and Europe. 
So the ICCL reports, uh, the report says, quote, RTB is the biggest data breach ever recorded. It tracks and shares what people view online and their real world location 294 billion times in the U.S. and 197 billion times in Europe every day. And that's billion with a B, beta, B. That's huge. That's huge. And yeah, they're just focusing on U.S. and Europe. So let's start with the, the basics of digital ad buying. So real-time bidding is a form of what they call programmatic advertising. So this is this is automation. This is a lot of the AI and machine learning that we hear about so much of these days. Same, same kind of concept, all these algorithms that are learning about you. So it's essentially an automated auction where the buying and selling of ads take place in about 200 milliseconds. It's that fast. Good gracious. And as I said, it's how, it's how most ads are placed today. So real-time bidding is also a $117 plus billion industry that operates behind the scenes on websites and apps and tracks what you are looking at, no matter how private or sensitive. And it records where you go. So every day, it broadcasts its data about you to a host of companies, and there's a lot of them. These companies continue, uh, obviously it's over time, but it continuously happens every day for anyone who's online. And it enables these companies to essentially build these elaborate profiles that we talk about on the podcast. So who employs real-time bidding? Well, Google, of course, is the world's largest real-time bidding company. Shocker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and they try to defend themselves here in the, uh, and we'll get into some of the quotes that uh, these companies were saying, hey, you know, we're, we're all good. Everything's fine. Don't have to worry. Don't look here. Meta, also, of course, Twitter, and you know, any other technology company you can think of, obviously Verizon, all the telecoms, apparently Salesforce, they're all involved in, in this process. So the largest real-time bidding broadcasters, and I mentioned before an article, a couple of new ones that I didn't cover was BidSwitch. Never heard of them before. Me neither. And then there's Index Exchange. And I guess it's not a surprise too, because a lot of this is... It's happening in the background. It's happening in the background, right. and it's I'm sure it's huge profit margins. Probably wouldn't be so much the case if you knew who they were. I think that's the other thing. They probably like it this way. Yep. <laughs> so one of the companies, uh, I guess you pronounce it Xander, but it's spelled X-A-N-D-R. That's what I would say. And it was purchased by uh, Microsoft, I guess from AT&T back in 2021. And so Xander is a, it's an advertising analytics subsidiary now of Microsoft, which operates an online platform community for buying and selling consumer centric digital advertising. Sounds so wonderful. It's always how they sell it. Now the platforms for ad buying. So here's how we're going to break this down. So there's the supply side platforms. Now this is what publishers or website owners use to sell ad space. So the most common one of course is, is the Google ad manager. So there's three components to this all. That was number one. The second component is the ad exchange or ad exchanges. And they sit between the advertiser and the publisher. And it's a market with vendors and buyers. And this, again, this is happening in milliseconds, literally milliseconds. And then there's the demand side platforms. Now they allow an advertiser to buy ad space and manage their ads. Now, of course, the most common one is Google ads. Any marketer who's been around for any significant amount of time knows that Google Ads is a big part of digital marketing. So are these all separate or are they all working, these three are working together for one exchange? Yeah, they're, they're, they're separate entities, but they're, they're multiple ad exchanges too. Okay. For instance, you have 
a company, let's just say it's you pick one of your favorite companies, whatever floats your boat. What's a good hobby for you? <laughs> let's take a mountain biking company. What we'll, we'll do for, for, for me? Let's say Cannondale, right? So Cannondale wants to sell some ads. Cannondale then works with this ad exchange to then pair up with advertisers who want to advertise, let's say on a Cannondale website. Let's say there's a third party website. Maybe it's a bike store that has a partnership, a reseller agreement with Cannondale. And so these three entities are working together. The ad exchange is bringing the the sellers and the buyers together and it's working out what the highest bid will be and what the most relevant ad is based on all this data of the person who's literally visiting the site. So, so for instance, when you go to a website that has ads turned on, you will see when you when you watch the website load, there's a like a real fraction of a second, the space where the ad is supposed to appear, it's not there yet. Right. And then it loads. Got it. And that little fraction of a second is determining what I should see. It's grabbing that data from your cookies. Yeah. And it's determining what it will show you. Good. And it's, okay. it's, it's amazing that that happens in literally like so fast. 200 milliseconds. So we're going to go into a little bit about how this works. It basically starts when you click a link to visit a website and everything will hinge on the real-time bidding data broadcast. So the data broadcast during this RTB process re- relates to what you're viewing and doing online and where you're located. So even the geolocation stuff, which apparently is actually a big part of this. So a bid request, which is a piece of code executed as soon as you load a web page, records data about you and your device. And the information in a bid request includes, let's say, a unique advertising identifier, your device type, model, operating system, ISP, all that invasive information. And then also some data about you personally, including your location, age, gender, preferences, browsing history. That's enough to know a little bit about you, especially if you've been using the same device online for even just a few weeks. Yeah. And it makes me, it's like having me think about Amazon. So I shop on Amazon a lot. They have everything. And I know all my ads, it's like, oh, you might be interested in this because of what you looked at. And even when I'm buying clothes or something for me or like my husband, it will say, based on what you've bought and what other people are saying, this is the size for you. So I almost rarely do I have to check a size chart because it's been pretty accurate, which is weird because it'll like, I don't know how it's taking in the information, but people will put on their, so say I'm shopping for pants or something on Amazon and people can enter in on their review saying, I'm, you know, I'm five foot seven, I'm 150 pounds, whatever it is. And so they're gathering everybody's data to say, okay, so she's this big, she bought this size. She's this big, she bought this size. And they're like basing off my previous purchases and some history on my internet. And they're like, Hey Sarah, this is the size you should buy based on what everybody's saying. Instead of having to say, Oh, this runs small. Let me it's getting really accurate, which is kind of scary, but That's creepy. I'm like, oh, I do shop here a lot. So it is understanding like, oh, Sarah always buys this and people are saying it runs small. Let's give her this suggestion. So it's analyzing things so quickly, even based on that. And I know, yeah, I pull up Amazon and it's like, hey, you might like this today or you might like this today just because of <laughs> all my stuff. That's what that makes me think of. And I know we're about to talk about cookies and I see that pop up all the time. So, yeah. And, yeah. you know, the retargeting and advertising is another big one, too. So back to the mountain, mountain bike example. So if I went to Cannondale Mountain Bikes, for instance, I wanted to check out the newest models. 
then I leave that website and I start going to other sites that sell ads. And all of a sudden, all those Cannondale ads will show up wherever I go for the next couple yes. days or so. Yep. Because they're like, oh, this is a warm lead. He went to our website. Yeah. He's interested in this kind of mountain bike. We're going to show him this ad for the next 48 hours. I always laugh because it's like around Christmas time where like if I've made a big purchase item, some PS whatever number is out there now, I like if bought it for my husband or something. And then I start getting ads all over the place to buy a PS four or five, whatever it is. And I'm like, I already bought one. Leave me alone. Like I don't need to keep seeing it, but they've seen that I bought it somewhere else. And now I'm being shown to, I guess, buy it again or buy games for it because now they can see I bought this. Let's show her more to do with it. But yeah, yeah. hopefully one day that, well, not hopefully, but maybe at some point they're even going to know if you purchased. One. Right. They'll be like, oh, she already bought it. Let's show her the games for it now. Let's give you the accessories. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's creepy. So when you arrive on a site, as I mentioned, before the page loads, you'll see that there's this little space where the ad is supposed to show up. And so that the site's publisher where this ad appears is literally sending available ad space dimensions to the supply side platform. So then the supply side platform looks at your cookies. And of course, we can do a little refresher on what cookies are, but it's essentially this collection of data from your web activity, your interest and in demographics and more. And there is a difference. There's first party tracking cookies, which I think most people are kind of comfortable with if you're working with one website. Right. Because that's the one where it'll say, remember me for next time Correct. so that save my password or you just know I've already been here, accept my settings for what they are. Yeah. And then the the one where people really get a little upset about is the third party tracking is that those cookies follow you as you go to different websites. Right. And is, do you know if it's like, God, I haven't really been paying attention. I even just opened a website as you were talking and it had that little thing at the bottom about cookies, but I didn't look to see, do they say first party or third party right on it? You mean in the, the yeah. cons to consent? Yeah. The consent button. Do you I know if they say it sometimes right away? I don't have to admit, I probably don't read them all the Girl, time. <laughs> I literally just pushed a button and now I'm guilty of doing that. But I would say what we've mentioned before is when you do go to websites and that does pop up, if you have the chance, just say no. Unless it's yeah. like you, like what we said, if you're shopping here a lot or you know you're going to be on this trusted website, you can go ahead and accept it and it will remember that you've been there. But if you're just visiting random news articles or just clicking around trying to find something, if it says, you know, accept cookies, try to find the button that says no, because I just feel like you don't need to be tracked around while you're perusing the Internet. It's just adding to that profile of you. And what is it? They call it dark pattern. Sometimes they right. make the no is really small yeah, and the yes I, is big. And I will do that where I'm like, God, I don't even see the X anywhere. Do I have the option? And if I don't <laughs> see it, I'll try to like scroll around it until I'm like, oh my gosh, this box is in my way and I can't see anything. And so, yeah, it does get kind of hard. But I would say if you're not going to be there very long, just say no, don't accept my cookies because I don't need you tracking me. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and as we get into this and how real-time betting works, I, th I think it'll become even more clear how dangerous cookies really can be. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. Are you tired of big tech spying on you? MySudo is the world's only all-in-one app that gives you back control of your privacy. By creating digital profiles or pseudos, you can compartmentalize your online activities by setting up a unique phone number, email address, and handle for things like shopping, accessing free content, and using dating apps. This breaks the data trail linking back to your personal info, thus reducing your digital exhaust. Each pseudo also includes a private web browser with ad and tracker blocker. Want to stop companies from sharing data related to your transactions and spending habits? Set up a MySudo virtual card and bring peace of mind that your transactions are secure and private. To learn more, visit mysudo.com. 
That's mysudo.com. Stay private. Just a, a little refresher uh, for those that, that haven't really gotten into the whole details of how cookies work. So the most common form of website user tracking, it's a small file that a website you've accessed will send to your computer so you can use their site. Which again, if it's first party cookies, people are usually comfortable with. If you're going to Amazon a lot and you want to be remembered so you don't have to log in all the time, you know, it's convenience. I can understand. But some cookies are necessary for sites to function. For example, to remember that you've logged in. But others, most according to a 2020 study by Cornell University, are used for tracking and recording your activity on a site. So sites can store that data for a long period of time. Now, cookies come in two types. There's Again, there's the first-party cookies, which the website owner places on their own site. And then there's third-party cookies, which third parties place on the site that the owner uses to extract more user data. And that's what a lot of companies are getting away from. And it's really been market driven as people have been voicing their concerns about that. So your cookie data is what determines which ad will be most relevant to you. And that's why it's so uncanny when you go visit different web pages that have the ads turned on. You're like, wow, how do they know that I'm interested in camping? Right. That's amazing. You're seeing things that you were searching for on a different website popping up on your new searches. Exactly. Then let's talk about the demand side platforms. The demand side platform assigns a value to the user and places a bid on the ad space based on the information in your cookies. And then finally, back to the supply side, that platform receives the bids. It picks a winner based on the highest and most relevant bids. It's not just the highest bid, but it's also doing the algorithm like, okay, Sarah likes this and she spends this much time on the internet and okay, put those two together, then this is probably the best ad. I can't believe how fast all of this is happening. It's just... The coding and the data to go into something like this is unbelievable. Well, you think about like when search engines started like Google, it, it really did mesmerize me that you could search a term and literally just like that, all of this return, all this information right. comes up like all these sites have crawled everything that fast. Yeah. But now you're adding that extra layer of here's your answers, but here's also, you know, more tailored to you because we want you to stick around and find things that you are specifically interested in. All of this process, again, just happens within 200 milliseconds, essentially, on average. And it's happening between the time you click on a link and when that web page fully loads. Unbelievable. Un unreal. How I'm going to ask you, because you work in marketing, so this, I'm sure, is why it's more familiar to you. But how does this relate real-time bidding to SEO or search engine optimization? Are they related or are they totally different things? They're different. I mean, when you're thinking about paid advertising... That's a little bit similar, but if you're on, for instance, if you're on Google, they, they own that, that ecosystem. So if I type in mountain bikes, I'm going to get a series of ads for different mountain biking manufacturers. That's it's similar, but you're not dealing with the ad exchange. I don't think in that case. So, but the SEO is more organic. So if I just want to optimize a website for a bunch of keywords, I'm not really dealing with that whole buying and selling ad process. So okay. it's a little bit outside of that. All right. So we're going to move on to sort of like the privacy problem. So what is all the fuss about? Well, some people will say, well, real-time bidding serves me targeted personalized ads that are relevant to my interests. I like that. So what? Well, the issue is once the personal data is broadcast via real-time bidding, there's no control over where and how it might be used in the world. 
Hundreds of companies can participate in real-time bidding process, and each company involved in the bidding can actually access the bid stream data even without bidding. That seems kind of crazy to me. I know. You're like not even in the game, but you still get to see everything. Yeah, this is where some of the problem arises. Yeah, and even the barriers to gain entry to these digital ad auctions are low. And although there are penalties for misusing bid stream data, simply parsing or, you know, analyzing the data is still highly valuable to participants. Bid stream data can actually be harvested even without third-party cookies. This is interesting. So recent efforts by Apple and Google to ban them actually do nothing to mitigate the privacy risks. So even though the bid stream data is usually anonymized, it's relatively easy to match a user to their information. So these data brokers are packaging the bid stream data, particularly valuable location data, and they sell it to other companies and even governments (laughs) with little oversight. That's crazy to me. Uh, And um, Chris Pearson, um, who is the CEO and founder of the security firm Black Cloak, says that even with some security measures put in place, it's nearly impossible to block the collection of personal data from digital ad networks. And also, according to Pearson, he says, while the marketplace is crowded with numerous apps that block tracking VPNs that are used intermittently or devices that also strip ads and tracking from users, they all suffer from what he quotes, a whack-a-mole approach. Here are just a few stats according to that Irish Council for Civil Liberties article that you noted. Almost 4,700 companies are allowed by Google to receive real-time bidding data about people in the U.S., There are 178 trillion real-time bidding broadcasts about people in the U.S. and Europe every year. I think that's just, it's one of those numbers that is so hard to just put into perspective sometimes. What privacy? Right. That's unbelievable. Um, In Germany, real-time bidding tracks and broadcasts what a person is doing online roughly once per minute that they are online. And U.S. internet users' online behavior and locations are tracked and shared 107 trillion times a year. I should have done the math on that. That's just crazy to me. And people in the U.S. have their online activity and real world location exposed 57% more often than people in Europe. I wonder why that is. Do you have any insight? I I know they've been more uh, proactive about the laws and, and coordinated. I think that the GDPR I believe that even started right after the Edward Snowden revelations mm-hmm. about some stuff that was going on. So I think there's a correlation between that. But I think in America, they, people just are more comfortable with that still, Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. And um, one last note, it's important to note that this data shows the number of data broadcasts sent about a person rather than the number of advertisements shown to them. And we've actually got a few articles on the mysudo.com forward slash blog on real-time bidding and advertisement trackers. So if you're ever wanting just something simple, you can go straight to our blog. Um, A couple of those titles, if you're looking, there's one, The Privacy Pitfalls of Personalized Advertising, and one called We're All Part of the Biggest Data Breach Every Day. And there's a section in that article that says, do consumers even want personalized ads? And the answer is yes. Consumers like us, we want personalized shopping experience for all the reasons marketers cite in defense of their practices. Targeted ads matched to our immediate needs and interests save us time and money and can enhance our online experience. But 
Also, no, we don't want personalized ads. It's increasingly consumers don't want personalization when it comes at the expense of our privacy. So it's sort of that double-edged sword there. And in that article, it says this consumer sentiment against personalized ads, it's not new and it is increasing. As far back as 2012, Pew Research found 68% of U.S. consumers don't like targeted ads and disapprove of the invasive data surveillance that drives them. Seven years later, in 2019, they found an even higher number of U.S. consumers at 81% believes the potential risks from data-driven products and services outweigh the benefits. Then in February of 2021, YouGov polled 2,000 consumers in France and Germany and found 57% don't want personalized ads on their devices and feel deeply uncomfortable about the granular categorization based on highly personal information such as illness, pregnancy, and religion that drives those ads. So in the U.S., it's 81% that the risks just don't outweigh the benefits. It is. It's true. Like I think about it and I'm like, I do enjoy sometimes the personalized ads, but that's it does. It knows me too well. And I'll tell my husband that I'm like, uh oh, I saw an ad. I need to go try this because I'll always try something once. I'm like, this looks cool. I need to go try it. But they are so targeted and it's God, it hurts my wallet a little bit, I guess. But they are good at it. And it's frustrating. It does get creepy sometimes. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Yeah, I do want to <laughs> see that. But it's at what expense? all that data they're collecting about me across who knows how many websites selling it to who knows who. It's kind of endless. One common thing I've noticed too is that the sentiment seems to be people are getting more privacy conscious, right. but it's not necessarily translating into their behaviors. Right. It's like you want it, but what are you willing to do about it? And then you sort of look at that side where it said this is a growing industry. So it's like, we are concerned about it, but people may not be taking the action or they don't know how, or maybe it's to do so privately is an extra step. And sometimes I don't know if lazy is the word, but you know how we're all about, oh, it's an extra click. That's too much. It's like, just open a private browser for a second and separate yourself just a tiny bit, just whether it's in my pseudo or whatever it is, just take an extra second, go to a private browser. It's just so simple, but yeah, it's crazy. It's a growing industry. We all want privacy, but it's just, it's not translating. We're concerned about it, but it's a growing industry. So something's not lining up yeah, as far and, as consumers. And even aside from the privacy factor, it's also the, I guess it's the way social media we've talked about before, how it's designed that I kind of go onto my iPhone and I'll see the, the Apple news section. Right. And I just, I catch a glimpse of one of the headlines and I'm like, oh. I gotta go look at that, right? I really don't <laughs> need gotcha. to. I should just turn yeah. all of that off. Yeah. It's just wasting my time. All right, let's take a closer look at the anatomy of bid streams. So I'm gonna literally read a section verbatim right out of Wikipedia. We all know Wikipedia is you know, <laughs> the trusted source, but I'm gonna give them the nod this time. So there's a section in there just about privacy, but it's this whole Wikipedia entry is on real-time bidding, but they have this little section on privacy. So it says real-time bidding requires collection, accumulation, and dissemination of data about users and their activities for both operating the bidding process, profiling users to enrich bid requests and operate ancillary functions such as fraud detection. As a consequence, real-time bidding has led to a range of privacy concerns and has attracted attention from data protection authorities. According to UK's DPA, that's Data Protection Authority, the ICO report, report companies involved in RTB were collecting and trading information such as race, sexuality, health status, or political affiliation without consent from affected users. And there's a person in here, Simon, is it Mick, McDougal? McDougal? 
of ICO reported in June 2019 that sharing people's data with potentially hundreds of companies without properly assessing and addressing the risk of these counterparties raises questions around the security and retention of this data. In 2019, 12 NGOs, non-governmental organizations, complained about real-time bidding to a range of regulators in the union. Now they're talking about Europe. Leading to a decision in February 2022 where the Belgian Data Protection Authority found a range of illegality in aspects of a system used to authorize much of real-time bidding in the EU under the GDPR. The Transparency and Consent Framework produced by the Interactive Advertising Bureau Europe. Now, the Dutch DPA has since indicated that websites and other actors in the Netherlands should cease using real-time bidding to profile users. The Belgian DPA's decision has been described as an atomic bomb, with some academic commentators arguing that the real-time bidding would require fundamental restructuring in order for systems such as the TCF to be able to authorize it under the decision. So, just give you some context. There's a lot of talk and a lot of moving parts going on over the concerns of real-time bidding. Yeah. And it's talking about there how they're trying to cease using real-time bidding to profile users. And it's, I just am trying to imagine that other side of it. You know, I'm like, if that didn't exist, what would my online experience look like? It is kind of, it is that love-hate relationship where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to see content that I'm not interested or that doesn't align with my values, or I do enjoy seeing things that I want to buy. And I just sort of think about, it's like a golf, maybe a tangent, but just pre-internet, how people were buying things. They didn't have this targeted advertisement and somehow people bought what they needed. And it's like, oh, I'm probably just buying a bunch of stuff I don't actually need because of all this profiling and targeting on me. It's interesting. I used to be a big, I was a huge fan of magazines. Yeah. And I think a lot of people they found in research, they would buy targeted niche magazines in many cases just to look at the ads yeah. because it was, if you're a golfer, you want to see the newest drivers and clubs that are out. But then I guess the advertising has gone so far now that people just want to avoid it and try to tune it out. So it's interesting how that's changed. And what's that TV station where they sell stuff online like late at night? Oh, the, Q- uh, the home shopping or QVC. QVC. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I remember talking to my mom about, I was like, how did you guys used to buy things before you had the internet? And she's like, well, QVC was on a lot. And when she said, when I was pregnant and I couldn't sleep, I would stay up on watching the TV and be ordering things online. Or I keep saying online, keep ordering things on TV. You'd call in and yeah, I want to order that brand. I want to order. I need those Tupperware bins. (laughs) So it's just funny to see how it's evolved. And I do like when you give the consumers a choice too. like, for instance, Spotify, you you can have the Spotify with ads experience or you can get rid of the ads if you want to pay for it. And Um, we always sort of talk about that where if something's free, you are the product. And so if you're paying maybe a couple extra bucks, maybe you're getting less targeted or you're not getting ads at all. I always kind of think about that as well. Yeah, and people complain about the paywalls on some of these media outlets like New York Times, Washington Post, and I'm right. like, people have gotten so accustomed to free content, but again, there are people that have to write that stuff too, and they're, they right. have salaries, so there's yeah, I, I, and if you're reason. visiting, and if you're visiting a site often enough that you're on the daily and you're like, oh, or like a TV, yeah, I'll pay a couple extra bucks so I don't have to have you know the advertisements <laughs> on there, but it makes sense; it's a service. So essentially, real-time broad, uh, real-time bidding broadcasts are ripe for interception and exploitation by non-officially listed real-time bidding partners, such as data brokers. This is our real old-time <laughs> friend, the data broker, whose businesses involve, and I've underlined this one, people farming. 
people farming. I don't like that word. By compiling dossiers of data to re-identify and profile individual web users for profit. <laughs> Gracious. That's like a dark sentence. People farming, people you know, farming. for profit. <laughs> Call. We should do an episode just on people farming. Oh. And they do this by using info like device IDs, device fingerprinting, which we will have an episode just on device fingerprinting down the road. They also look at location information. It just goes on and on and on. Linking all your web activity to a named individual. And that's that's what's going on. Jeez. <laughs> that's a dark sentence. <laughs> People so, farming. There's this article titled Everything You Need to Know About the Bidstream from Ad Exchanger, March 7th of 2019. So Bidstream data really comes from a publisher or an app. And the Bidstream data typically includes your basic facts about the ad unit like publisher and URL, device type, IP address, and ad format. And of course, it also might have other nuggets of info, as I've mentioned before, like location information or audience demographic data that could help to entice buyers. An important note, so ad tech companies don't own the Bidstream data, even if they've won an impression, but parsing that data can still yield immense value. And again, there's it's this can be really complicated. So I think in a future episode, we'll probably get an expert on to talk to this person about how to make this more approachable for a main, just an average person who doesn't really want to get into all the technical details. But this is a good surface level introduction to this, but yeah. There's it, so much that goes into this. It's, it's incredibly, unbelievable. it takes an engineer probably to explain it. So, and that's why it's so efficient too. I mean, you've got three different entities going, working together to come up with an answer in literally a fraction of a second. So what's a value? The most directly valuable Bitstream data is GPS or location information. So the location data is the only piece of the Bitstream that is actively excised and sold separately typically by app developers or publishers to location data specialists for targeting or attribution, such as whether a person who saw a Home Depot ad walked into a Home Depot the next week. Wow. That's why I always think it's so important to check your device settings. Because I know on Apple, we've talked about this before, there are some location settings really buried deep in there. And you can go and even say, turn off always, turn off always on all of these apps. But there's also one that people aren't aware of. Sometimes it's literally sort of mapping it, mapping you out all day. And it's just tracking you. You can see the map for yourself of where you went and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so creepy. And they make it hard to find it. You have to go dig into your settings and turn everything off if you really don't want this. It's crazy. When I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so invasive. Like I, even I don't need that information. And they always try to alleviate your fears too by saying, oh, well, the data is in bulk and it can't be uh, de-anonymized. Right. And, and, and you remember back to the, I think it was the government, I guess, had purchased location data to monitor people's compliance with COVID restrictions and lockdowns. I think I remember hearing that. That was millions and millions yep. of location data from yep. cell phone use. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. The global average cost of a data breach is nearly $4.5 million, but that's viewing it from a liability perspective. Today, privacy is a value proposition for software providers. When you develop a reputation for protecting customers' personal information, you don't just acquire new customers, you make them loyal. And Pseudo Platform is the world's premier cloud platform for providing developers with a menu of enterprise-ready SDKs and APIs that make integrating privacy solutions into your software so easy. Built for developers by developers from identity wallets and password managers to virtual cards and secure encrypted communications, Pseudo Platform has you covered. Go to market quickly with a privacy platform that is scalable, flexible, and secure. 
To learn more, visit pseudoplatform.com. That's pseudoplatform.com. So the demand side tech companies that see the most bidstream data don't own the data and risk crippling penalties from regulators and clients if they were to use bidstream data beyond setting a bid for an impression. But I don't get the impression that they're literally following this. Yeah. The publisher owns the data and sometimes gives contractual permissions for a supply side platform or demand side platform to use bidstream data for forecasting or measuring campaigns. But typically, vendors are explicitly forbidden from using bidstream data for derivative products. For instance, a demand-side platform wouldn't be allowed to use bidstream data to create an ID graph or use location data for its own attribution. Now, the data can have value at an aggregate level, though, especially since demand-side platforms see bidstream data for all bids, not just when they win an impression. So again, you don't have to win the bid to get access to the data. You don't even have to necessarily, from what I understand too, and this is where I think we're going to need an expert to help. I've seen some perspectives on this that you don't even actually have to be actively bidding. You Mm -hmm. can still be in the auction somehow. And you can scrape some of that information during that auction. So So that you can like better your own advertising next time. Is that like the whole point of it for you to sort of analyze and. I think where they were going with it is even to the point where it gets in the hands of a data aggregator who then is continuing building these behavioral models on you. They have so much of this rich information that they can de-anonymize it and then they sell that to others for who knows what. So yeah. What a business to be in. (laughs) (laughs) Brands can use historical bidstream data to see how different geos, browsers, or URLs index for specific high value audience segments. And this is according to Max Jaff, Group M's programmatic practice lead. He's quoted here, in that way, it gives us a good sense of how efficient we can be for bidding in areas where there's true scarcity. We'll go into the section now on the bid stream vulnerabilities. The way to get the most value out of bid stream data is unfortunately to misuse it. An unscrupulous demand side platform entity could monitor the bid stream for sites with valuable audiences, pull cookies or IP addresses, which can be retargeted and then find the same users on cheaper sites. So there's kind of a little bit of an answer to your question. They can take that and then they can go play play ball somewhere else. Hmm. So according to the articles, buyers and vendors sharpen their identity practice and adopt products like ads.text. That kind of basic bidstream fraud is harder to pull off, but it isn't just buyers misusing bidstream data. Some publishers and supply side platforms have taken up a practice dubbed declaration fraud soliciting better rates by misrepresenting the size of video ad units. So they literally get in there and they change the specs. Oh, it's a larger ad that we're selling you. So we're going to drive up the price. It's a lot of dishonest practice. So the final piece is fingerprinting. I honestly, I really do find this fascinating. So I I can't wait for us to do an episode just on this topic. Bitstream identity data assets assets like a cookie or cookie-based IDs created by the Advertising ID Consortium or Digitrust are tightly controlled. But for years, companies have used non-identity data as an identity workaround, often called fingerprinting. Sometimes you will also hear the, the term probabilistic modeling or attribution. So an advertiser may not recognize the same Safari user when she moves from site to site because Safari blocks cookies, but by collecting many bidstream data points like Wi-Fi, 
or IP address, screen size and orientation, CPU speed, battery details, clock format. An advertiser can identify someone without a cookie or ID. So I don't even need your device ID. (sighs) I know. That's so creepy. It's just sitting there in the background like making comparisons. So the more unique your, you know, your configuration of your device is, the more it's Sarah. Yep. That's why we always talk about with my pseudo to compartmentalize. You're separating those different facets of your life because the more you're using that one email address or that one phone number, everything is connected back to that. So if you can separate that out, you know, even on Pseudomax, you've got nine. So imagine having nine identities for them trying to connect all this information. It's almost impossible for them and it's going to slow them down. Just to kind of round this part of it out. So Victor Wong, who's a founder and CEO of the ad server Thunder says, quote, with enough technical signatures, you could say it's likely the same person if you see the same signatures again. The identity connection is brittle, but it is a way to scale campaigns without licensing deterministic data, which can be expensive. Now, I think deterministic data, I do believe, is more specifically tied to here's your device ID. All, all the data now that has pretty much become a no-no unless you opt in. Right. And in, in closure on this one, in the, U, in the EU, creating identity workarounds without permission is punishable under GDPR, and Apple is aggressively closing the data loopholes that were used for fingerprinting. And that is true. And I've, there's been some there's been some debate, like I think Apple tried and then they backed away. Because apparently it is hard to, to police that, for instance, for Apple, to make sure that advertisers are not using fingerprinting cues to, to serve up ads and track people. It is difficult. Again, this is a lot of this is above my head and probably not really worth getting into, but it is important to at least know superficially at the top level what's happening. Absolutely. All right. So I've got an article from April of 2021 on bankinfosecurity.com. It's called Senators Raise Security Concerns Over Selling Personal Data. And it sort of reiterates what we've been talking about today. It says, A bipartisan group of U.S. senators sent a letter to Google, Twitter, Verizon, AT&T, and online advertising firms and networks raising national security concerns about the selling of citizens' personal data, which could end up in the hands of foreign governments. And in the letter, the lawmakers questioned these companies about the practice of real-time bidding. While only one company can win the bidding process when it comes to placing ads on websites, other firms that participate in the process can also gain access to the personal information of consumers targeted by these ads. And it also says this can sometimes include data such as, like we've mentioned, device identifiers and cookies, web browsing and location data and IP addresses, as well as age and gender information. While the data is usually anonymized, it is possible to match a specific user to the information. And these personal details as we've mentioned, called bidstream data, can then be packaged by data brokers and sold to companies and sometimes governments with little or no oversight. Yikes. And according to Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, he's quoted saying, few Americans realize that some auction participants are siphoning off and storing bidstream data to compile exhaustive dossiers about them. In turn, these dossiers are being openly sold to anyone with a credit card, including to hedge funds, political campaigns, and even to governments. So this information can end up in the hands of foreign governments and be used to create digital profiles of American citizens. In the letter the U.S. senator sent to the big tech companies, they said, this information would be a goldmine for foreign intelligence services that could exploit it to inform and supercharge hacking, blackmail, and influence campaigns. 
Some U.S. agencies have taken advantage of the Bidstream data process, according to earlier news reports. And this article also gives an example of data selling, saying, In October 2020, Motherboard reported that U.S. Customs and Border Protection bought location data from a private company, which raised questions about whether the agency was conducting warrantless surveillance of American citizens. Yep. And Scott Shackelford, chair of Indiana University's cybersecurity program, notes that the real-time digital bidding process and bid stream data have been problematic for years. This points to the need for comprehensive nationwide legislation to protect U.S. citizens' data and privacy. And he also continues, he's quoted saying, in the aftermath of data breaches, including at Equifax and Anthem, it's true that much of this data may already be available, but we should not be making it this easy for anyone or any organization with a credit card number to purchase personal information at this scale. So others have also pointed to the large amount of personal data that online and digital advertisers and their networks can collect about consumers with little or no consent. And in response to the letter from the group of U.S. senators, this is from a spokesperson for Google. So they note, privacy and transparency are core to how our ads services work. It's a rough sentence from them already. (laughs) We never sell people's personal information and all ad buyers using our systems are subject to stringent policies and standards, including restrictions on the use and retention of information they receive. Oh, I believe them. Right? It's like, do you even believe what you're saying and what's coming out? Do you know what business you're speaking for? That's quite a denial. Yeah, it is. So after all of this, and again... Trust me, there is a lot more that goes on that we could get into at engineering level, I would imagine. But I think this is a good introduction to it. So let's kind of get into, okay, now that you heard the scary part. What, <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? I think, I think first and foremost, if this kind of practice bothers you, at least at a minimum, turn off your cookies. Right. And if you don't know how to do that, just go to YouTube, check out whatever yeah. your browser is, look it up. And I'm sure there'll be a one minute video. Yeah. Show you where you go in your settings to do that. So yeah, and it's like how I mentioned, if you're visiting these websites and it's that pop up, I think you know it's it's all common nowadays. I feel like every website you go to will have that cookies option. And if you're unsure and you're not coming back to this website, just hit the X. Hit no, I don't accept. Hit the X and just opt out. Yeah, and I and I think too, underscoring what what we just talked about is it is more than just advertising because there is data scraping going on. Right. It's not just to give you targeted, tailored, personalized advertising. There is other stuff going on. And so that's something you might, so for for people are like, well, I I just like the ads. Good. So do I, you know, I kind of like that if it's things that I'm interested in, but just remember there's also other parties that are doing different things with that data. And it's not just about advertising. So again, minimum turn off cookies, but you can also add an ad tracker blocker like my pseudos in what's in my pseudos private browser. The ad tracker blockers block network requests back to the ad tech sites without your browser being able to phone home to fetch ads. They can't be shown to you. That's the key. So you're just, you're blocking that communication process. Also use a VPN. That's important. A lot more people are using VPNs today. Maybe not always for privacy, but they are using it to, you know, access their Netflix when they're, (laughs) when they're in another country or whatever it might be, or getting websites to show up in their native language. But the VPN makes it even more difficult for sites and ad tech platforms to determine your network location. Also, shop online with a streamlined computer to prevent fingerprinting. 
So you might even go so far as like what we're talking about with the dark web episode. Having a separate computer. I mean, computers, the laptops have become so inexpensive now. You could just get a shopping laptop, right? <laughs> Take it a step further. <laughs> and it's just nothing but a browser that has no crazy configurations and right. that's it. And use that for Amazon. That could be helpful for you. Also, use MySudo in general to compartmentalize your digital life. Break up that data trail, eliminate that data exhaust, and create your digital IDs for different activities. Yeah, it is nice that some things always kind of come back to MySudo organically. The VPN, we've talked about that. It's available on Android coming to iOS. It's got the built-in add and tracker blocker. You've got the private browser. You've got virtual cards in there to keep you separate. And like we said, up to nine identities. So you're just like, disperse it. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, disperse them out. Yeah. And it, that's really the battle that's going on. And the technology keeps changing. And we have seen like new creative ways to, to ID people now that are tied to your email address. They're always going to come up with a new way. Yeah. And so it's just this ongoing battle where the landscape's changing all the time and just do what you can because everybody's privacy definitions are different. So wherever you fall on that spectrum, try to try uh, to break the data trail. Yeah. Match where you are and, and do do at least a little bit to kind of help make their life a little bit more difficult. Any, any other uh, tips, I guess, or suggestions you could think of to help combat this whole real time bidding process? No, I think it is. It's a Goliath of a problem that obviously if their revenue is growing, it's something that is just hard to battle on a day to day. But like we said, just even taking a small step as turning off your cookies or using a private browser, or turn on a VPN, just these small things, use a different email address here and there. You're just trying to make it more difficult for them, which can slow them down a little bit. It is. I think it's hard to get away from it. And I would love if anybody listening is an expert in this, I'd love to hear how can, is there really anything we can do? Because it is such a huge issue. There were some interviews that I watched parts of online where these were highly technical people trying to describe it. And I, I said to myself, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going down <laughs> that path. I get the gist of it. Okay? Right. Yeah. And just take the takeaway is it's more than just advertising. Absolutely. They're using that data for other things. So great. Well, I think that's a good, that's a good way to wrap this episode up. And uh, next episode is going to be Kid Boga. I'm excited for that That's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. In our next episode, and it's a big one, we'll be interviewing YouTuber Kit Boga. With more than 3 million subscribers, Kit definitely entertains. But his primary mission is to educate people about the dangers of scam call centers. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.